Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. about two different types of people and two different types of people in scripture. There's two different guys. There's one guy who came over and he wanted to build a house and he wanted to build his house. And so he looked at a a solid foundation. He found a nice rock and he built his house on a solid foundation. He built it on a rock. And then there was another guy who wanted to build his house and he found he wanted to be close to the beach. He wanted to have a beach view. And so he, he just built it right there on the sand. And the Bible tells us that a storm came and the rains came. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, it says, The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of that house. Now, everything is different about these two guys. They've got opposite approaches. One guy's got a plan, and it's a solid plan. It's a solid foundation. This other guy, he's just kind of going off whatever he feels like, and he goes ahead and builds his house. This one guy's attitude is different than this guy's over here. One guy's obedient to the Word of God. One guy's not obedient. The Bible even implies that one guy may be saved and following Jesus, and the other guy is not following. Everything is different about these two guys, their actions, their approach, the location. But there was one constant about both guys. There was one constant about both houses, and that's this, the storm. See, the storm hit both houses. And see, it doesn't matter if you are obeying God, if you are saved, if you're following Jesus, or if you're over here on this side, the Bible implies that we're going to encounter some storms in life. And a storm can be anything. A storm can just be a storm of busyness. A storm can be a crisis. A storm could be a crisis of faith. A, a storm could just be turmoil in relationships. It could be a turmoil in indecision. It could be rejection of some sort. But you're going to have storms in life. And so today, I'm going to be addressing the question, what do we do when storms come in our life? What do you do when your fixer-upper feels like it's falling apart? What do you do when it all feels like it's breaking apart? And you may not have something breaking apart today, but I can guarantee you there will be a day in your life where you have a storm and you'll need to know what we're talking about today. I bought a foreclosure a couple years ago, a fixer-upper, and we bought it as is. How do you guys know when you have an as is, there's going to be some is. (laughs) There's going to be some stuff that happens with that. And so for us, this thing had been shut up for two years solid, just sealed up for two years. And so when we open, it's like, you know, all this stuff coming out. And, And so what happened is we found out that almost every pipe in the house had frozen and had burst. And so how we found that out is we turned on the water and water started spewing out everywhere. So we fixed that one location. We think we got it all good. We turn on the water again. Okay, everything's fine, except for now part of a ceiling is falling out because the pipe burst, burst there. We chased down all the burst pipes and we think we've got it all good. And then finally, we realized that the sink, the garbage disposal sink will not drain. And so we tried everything to get it to drain. I tried one of those rotor-rooter things, you know, to get it to drain. I got one of those industrial strength ones that, like, have an engine to them, you know, that you can kill yourself trying to use. And I tried that thing, almost died doing that. And so that wasn't working. And so I called a, a friend of ours who's in this church, Bob Newell, who's like a fix-it, jack-of-all-trades, can fix anything. And he'd been over there several times trying to help me fix all this stuff. And so we were over there looking at it, and we're looking at the pipe underneath the, the kitchen floor and how we're going to fix this. And finally, we decided 
decided we just have to cut this pipe in the middle and try to unclog it from the middle. And so there we are. We removed part of the ceiling. We're there in my basement. And so I'm like sawzalling through this pipe, you know, and, and not really thinking that this, whatever's in this pipe has been there for two years. And it's clogged. And so I'm sawzalling through. And as soon as I get all the way through, pretty soon all this stuff just dump on me and Bob. This sour water, old meat. Just everything started coming out. And I'm just looking at Bob saying, this is the low point, isn't it? This is it. This is it. And if there was ever a moment in my life I was going to cuss, it would have been that. And I passed the test. I was proud about that. And, uh, and how many of you guys have those low moments in life where you're just like you're looking at it and you're going, this is it. This is the low moment. It's got to be the low moment, right? And so I had another one of those stories that I, I shared with you guys not too long ago about a bathroom remodel I did in my house. And if you're like me, guys, it, it, here's how it starts. It doesn't start as a bathroom remodel. It starts with like cleaning a tile. Oh, that tile. Oh, that tile's loose. I better fix that tile. And then pretty soon you open. Oh, the wall is like it's rotted. And so then you rip off the wall and then you got to do more tile to the bathroom. And then, well, if I'm tiling this, I might as well tile the floor. And if I'm tiling the floor, I might as well put in a new vanity. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? And if I'm putting in a new vanity, I might as well put in a new sink. I might as well paint the house. Now she wants new carpet. What's going on here? And so it starts off, and that's how it started off for me. So for two months, we were just doing this project. I was working every night. I was exhausted. And I got to the end of it, last part of the project. I'm putting together all the pipes underneath the sink of the, the bathroom. And I, I run the water. Oh, everything ran through. And I was just like, just a happy guy. And then all of a sudden, with Satan mocking me, it was all the joints in the place just burst and leaked at the same time. And I just sat down at the floor. And you guys have got to imagine this. I sat down at the floor, exhausted, just a broken man. And if any time I was going to cry in my life, it would have been then. And I passed that test too. I did not cry then. And so I just sat there, broken man. No hope. How many of you guys have ever had no hope before? You just feel like that in life before. See, we all have these storms that happen to us in life. And today I'm going to talk about a storm that the Apostle Paul went through. The Apostle Paul, he was a prisoner on a slave ship on his way to Rome. And on their way to Rome, they encountered a storm. Now, this storm wasn't just any storm. It was a massive storm. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 14, it says, But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. Now, your translation may say something different. It may say a Eurachlodon storm, which I think is so much a cooler name. Just Eurachlodon storm. It sounds like a movie title or something like that. What happened was in this place, it normally didn't have a lot of big storms, but for, for this time, the wind came rushing down the hills and created a typhoon-type effect and swirled them around. So what would have just been five miles just following the coast, cost them, it sent them out into the sea 25 miles away, and they were just stuck at sea for day after day after day, caught in this storm. And, and so then in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Has anybody ever had a moment in life where it feels like the sun or the stars hadn't shined for many, many days? Anybody here? Am I talking to anybody here? I'm just making sure we ought to continue today. Um, just making sure, because I think we all feel those times from time to time where it feels like, man, it just doesn't seem like anything's going my way. It just seems like I'm stuck in this storm day after day after day. And let me tell you, I've been with people as a pastor many, many times over the years, people in their high moments and people in the lowest of the lows, people in their crisis moments, people in their most desperate times in those crisis moments. And here's what I've discovered after years of pastoring. Here's what I've discovered. 
when you get desperate, you make mistakes. When you get exhausted, you make mistakes. When you get in a storm or a crisis and you're not anchored, you make mistakes. And so today I want to talk about three different mistakes that I believe and I've seen people make when they get caught up in a storm of life, when they get caught up in a storm of busyness, when they get caught up in a storm of exhaustion or a storm of rejection, whatever your storm is, the mistakes still happen the same. And the first one is this, we start to listen to the wrong voices because there's lots of voices in the storm. There's lots of people who want to tell you how to get through the storm. There's lots of people who want to give you advice on how to navigate life when you're in a storm. And we fall prey to the temptation of listening to the wrong voices. In Acts chapter 27, verse 9, before they set out, Paul begins to warn them about this trip. He says, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. He's just looking at the situation. He's like, guys, this is a horrible idea. And, and can you see all the warnings in there? It's going to be dangerous. There's going to be loss. There's going to be, this, this is not good. And so he warns him of all this. And so the centurion who's in charge of all this operation, it says this, he paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So here, he's got all these voices. Paul is a man of God who hears from God, but then he's got all these other voices that he's listening to. Earlier this summer, uh, I felt like I heard a word from God for our church, for us, for what we were supposed to do this fall, and it was just a very simple word. And it was this word that dropped in my spirit, and it was accelerate. And I knew what it meant. I knew that we were supposed to kind of accelerate several of the things that God wanted to do in our church. And it's almost like as soon as I heard that word, it wasn't very much longer after that, that it seemed that there was this storm of swirl of busyness and confusion and exhaustion and distraction and everything seemed to be caught up in that. Everybody around, it just seemed like I was kind of caught up in that. Everything to try to distract from that momentum and that traction to accelerate. And whenever you find yourself in a storm, there's that initial blowback that you get that you find, you're like, can I, where are things at? Where's up and where's down? And, and so the trick is once you realize you're in the storm, it's to try to figure out which voice to listen to. And so I've realized that we can't just listen to the storm of busyness and distraction and exhaustion. We have to have the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have to have the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and we have to, we have to seek after that above all else. But here's our temptation, and we do exactly what this centurion did. We start listening to other voices. The first wrong voice that he listened to was the so-called experts. You know, the pilot and the captain of the ship. These guys know a lot about sailing, but they don't seem to know a lot about hearing the voice of God. Because God was speaking through Paul. And so he went with the so-called experts. Do you realize they're sa it seems comforting for us to go with the so-called experts of the day? But how many of you guys know that the so-called experts have turned out to be wrong many times, haven't they? I mean, at one time, our world was flat, right? Because a so-called expert told us it was flat. And so the so-called experts can sometimes be wrong, but we always seek out the experts. I'm, I'm really strange. I just, I go to Walmart and I think weird things. How many of you guys are like me? You go to Walmart, you just think weird things. So I'm looking around at Walmart one day and I'm seeing this guy and he works there and I hope he's not here today. Um, 
Maybe he's in one of the other services, but uh, and I see this guy, and he's working. He's works in the electronics department. And he's like telling everybody about all these big screens and all the you know whatever they do. And, and so then it wasn't but a few weeks later. I look over and I'm in Walmart, and I see him, and he's there at the hunting department, and he's issuing out permits, and he's all you know telling everybody about all this hunting stuff, like he's the expert at hunting. And so he stayed there for a few months, and I thought, oh, okay, this is the hunting guy. He's this is his place here at the at Walmart. This is why he's here. He's the hunting specialist guy. And then I walked in not too long ago, and I look at the eye department, and he's wearing a white lab coat in the eye department, and now he's telling everybody about eyes, and I'm thinking, this is, there's something wrong with this, you know, that this is what happens in our life. We're going around to all these so-called experts, and there's something comforting about somebody who looks like an expert telling us how to navigate the storm, but again, the so-called experts have turned out to be wrong. In fact, Voltaire in the 1700s, he was like this French philosopher and writer, and he was well known in, in that time, and, and still a lot of people uh, hold him up today. But he's he was uh, you know he had a, kind of a beef with Newton, and he was you know uh, Newton he believed in God, he believed in the Bible, and so he believed just by reading some of the things he saw in the Bible that one day we'd be able to travel at speeds like 50 or 60 miles per hour. And Voltaire was like, and I love what he said here. He said, any thinking man would realize that if you travel at those speeds, your heart would like burst. So-called expert. He also was the guy who said that a hundred years from now, again, this is the 1700s, a hundred years from now, the only place you'll find a Bible is in a museum. And then the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and turned it into their Bible printing press. And they still do that today. See, the so-called experts have been wrong before. And listen, if you are leaning into the philosophy of this day, well, and if you're looking at magazines of the day and the news sites of the day, and they're telling, that's where you're getting your information on how to raise your children, on how to have a good relationship, on how to have a good marriage. Listen, if you're looking to Brangelina to find information, how many of you guys are embarrassed you even know what that is? But we, we default to that, don't we? We default to whatever the, the philosophy is of the day. Whatever the philosophy is of the day. And listen, if we're looking to television shows, movies, talk shows, even world leaders to try to tell us as the so-called expert how to run our life versus the word of God, one day we're going to find ourselves drifting off course, aren't we? We're going to find ourselves in a place that looks nothing like what a believer should look like. If you subscribe to all those magazine feeds and all the pop culture of the day and, and you let that come and become a part of you, and then you take the average lady today and you ask her to describe the perfect man. She'll describe a woman. Because pop culture says a man's got to be sensitive and he's got to cuddle and all that stuff. You know, she's got to do all these things that, that that's what a woman is. See, God made us different, didn't he? Now, all that stuff is fine. And, you know, I'm glad you got your arm around your wife here. That's good. But at the same time, we can easily buy into what pop culture says versus the word of God. And we end up listening to the so-called experts. Uh, the second wrong voice he listened to was the voice of the circumstances. He starts analyzing the circumstances and what the harbor looks like against the word of God. And he starts analyzing all that. And he says, he just does the finger test and like, which way is the wind blowing? And maybe we'll just do this and roll the dice. Listen, you can't, how many guys have ever made a decision that was bad based on the circumstances? Here's usually how it plays out that the circumstances are so pressing. I've got to make a decision right now. 
And anytime you have to make a decision right now, listen, it's probably going to be a bad decision. If you can't take the time to research, to get wise counsel, to seek the voice of God, and somebody's pressing you to make a decision, and you haven't taken time to hear the voice of God, it's going to be a wrong decision. For me, that answer is always no, every time, if I can't hear the voice of God. And when many times we just look at our life, and we try to base our, our life and make, make our decisions on best-case scenarios. And if everything goes perfect, it'll be awesome. But how many of you guys know that everything doesn't always go perfect? And we end up getting into trouble basing our decisions on what the circumstances look like at the time. The third wrong voice he listened to was this, the majority. Did you hear in that scripture, it says the majority decided to do this. I can tell you that the crowd is almost always wrong. In fact, you could probably live your life by looking at whatever the crowd's doing and just do the opposite and you'd probably come out all right. I was talking with Andy Jarrett. He, comes to, he came to second service. We were hanging out at the Fall Fest booth, and he was talking to me about a time he went to Worlds of Fun, Oceans of Fun, and he was getting in line for this. I mean, there were like a billion people in this line. And so he's like, man, this must be the most awesome ride here at Oceans of Fun. He could see it was like a four-person raft thing, and he could see a little bit of it, but he couldn't see anything else. And he thought, man, there's a lot of people here in this line. This must be the best ride here. And he waited for like hours in this line. He finally gets up to the top, rides down it, and he's like, I can't see how anyone would enjoy that ride. And he said, now this is just his personal opinion, but he said, here's what I wanted to do. For the rest of the day, I wanted to stand at that line where all those people are lined up and say, don't get on this ride. Don't get on this ride. Don't get on this ride. It's a horrible ride. That's what I feel like doing today. If you're following the majority, don't follow the majority. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow them. Don't get on this ride. Because the Bible says broad is the way to destruction. And if the majority's going there, 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 may, be, there may be a reason why you don't want to go there. And the majority decided. The, the last voice that he listened to wrongly was a misplaced hope. They said, on the chance, we're just going to roll the dice. We're just going to hope instead of having our hope in the Lord. And listen, it's going to take us cutting through all those voices. If you are in a storm right now, the only voice you need to listen to is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The only voice you need to get a hold of is the voice of God. And here's what I, where I think we're at. I think we've lost our stomach for what it takes to dig in and to actually hear God's voice for ourselves. I feel like we, we just are so leaning on the so-called experts of the day. Even in the church world, we pick up a, a book, a Christian book, or we listen to Christian radio, and we think, well, they're the experts. I'm just going to do that. And we don't hear from God ourselves. We, we, just, we go to church, and we hear, oh, Pastor Sean told me this, and we don't hear from God ourselves. Now, listen, I think if we are going to be in a storm, the only thing that's going to anchor us in the storm is when you get a word from God for yourself. Because I'm telling you, the circumstances are going to change. The so-called experts are going to be wrong. The majority is going to lead you astray. But if you get a word from God, that will be your anchor in the storm. Amen? you got to get a word from God. you got to hear the Holy Spirit for yourself. We, I think we've lost our stomach for what it takes to actually dig in and to seek after the voice of God. I love guys like Charles Finney, who in his day in the 1800s, he went out and at first he was afraid to hear God's voice and to surrender his life to God. So he went out into the woods by himself and he was nervous that anyone would see him trying to seek God. And if there was any br wind blowing through the place, he would get all nervous and embarrassed and go back home. And finally, he went out there one day after days of doing this and something broke on the inside of him. And he said, I'm going to hear hear the voice of God today and surrender my life to God, or I'm going to die here trying, but I am going to hear the voice of God. And he, with all of his might, he cried out to the Lord. He encountered God and hundreds of thousands of people got saved because of that moment when he surrendered. But he had to hear the voice of God for himself. 
The same is true for each and every one of us. We're not here in this place just to have Pastor Sean tell you the voice of God for you. You're here in this place to get equipped, challenged, and encouraged so that you can go out and you can get a hold of God's voice for yourself. Amen? Otherwise, you'll be swayed by every other voice. The second mistake people make that I've seen in a storm is this. We lose our hope. Our hope becomes abandoned. Acts chapter 27, verse 21. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. I love Paul. He's just like, guys, I told you so. Guys, you should have listened to me. I was right all along. That's what he's saying. He's just, he says, men, you should have listened to me. And you shouldn't have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. And here's Paul's word, and he's got a new word from God that's going to infuse what's going to happen next. He says, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, that doesn't really seem to make sense, does it? No loss of life, but only the ship. So you're going to lose the ship, but everybody's going to be saved. Do you guys know that sometimes when you hear the word from God, it doesn't always make sense in the moment. Later on, we'll see how it plays out. But they hang on to it anyway. Paul hangs on to it anyway. It says, from this very night, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Now let this be a word for somebody in this place today. You may find yourself in the storm. And let's just be honest here this morning, most of the storms we encounter, we probably caused ourselves, didn't we? It's probably our bad decisions. It's probably our bad attitude, probably a mistake somewhere along the way. Many times because of listening to the wrong voices. And we look and we're in a storm today. And here's what I want to tell you today. Take this as the word of the Lord for you. Take heart today that God's purposes can still be accomplished even in spite of the storm. That's what's happening here. Even in spite of the storm, even if you cause the storm, Paul says, you know what? God's purpose is that I make it to Rome. And even though there's a storm, God can prevail even in the midst of it. He can cut through all of it. That God's purposes can even prevail even in spite of the storm. But it's not about just pushing through the storm and doing the right things. Because here's the trap we all fall into. I'm just going to keep doing right things in the storm. I'm just going to keep going through the motions and doing the right things. And I'll get okay on the other side. You guys, have you ever heard that scripture that faith without works is dead? But do you know that works without faith is dead also? See, faith without works, if you have faith, but you have no works to show for it, and you're not doing anything about it, then you probably, your faith is worth nothing. But if you, you can have works that have no faith with them, and the Bible indicates that those are dead works. So in other words, you can do the right thing and it not matter. How do you know if you have dead works? Here's how you know. If the works and the good things you're doing is all about you, if it's all about you, if it's all about, you know what, man, I'm doing all these good things and, and no one's really seeing it. Dead works. If you're, man, I, this is how bad I have it. I'm even in this storm and a pity party me, but I'm doing the right thing anyway. Dead works. No faith behind it. If, if it's all about, man, look how good I'm doing. Those people, they're at such a low level beyond me, uh, below me. They're just, they're just so down there. If they could only get what I've got, dead works. If the works are all about you, they become dead works. And so you can be motivated by the right action and have good works in your life, but it's not just about that. 
It's about having the right atmosphere about our works and atmosphere about us. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, you can do all these good things. You can prophesy. You can, you can speak in other languages. You can do all these things. You can move mountains. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. In other words, you can do all these good things. But if the atmosphere surrounding and empowering the thing is not right, it'll all be burned up in the bonfires of heaven. You know there are bonfires in heaven, right? The Bible says that all of our works, what doesn't, what isn't right will be burned up. And so we may be doing a lot of good works in the midst of the storm. We may be patting ourselves on the back or wanting to look at all these people. They aren't holding up to my standard. They're not doing as much as I'm doing. It's all about me. All that gets burned up and means nothing for eternity. So if you're in a storm right now and you're thinking, I just need to keep doing the right thing and that's it. As long as I do the right thing, my attitude stinks. My atmosphere stinks. I have no faith behind it, but I'm doing the right thing. It all burns up in the end. It all burns up. And so the way you do something is as important as what you do. It's not just what you do, it's the way you do it. And in fact, it, people will remember not what you do, but the way you are, the way you were. Your kids, when they get grown up and when you're gone someday, they're not going to remember all the specific things you did, but they will remember the atmosphere about you. They will, will remember the way that you were, just the way that you were. Your spouse, remember the way that you were. It doesn't have to be a specific thing. And, and if you're in a storm here today, it's not just about what you're doing. It's about the way you are in the storm. And when you create that atmosphere of faith, it produces more hope. And, and so a lot of people make a mistake and they abandon their hope. And the last thing is this. People make a mistake in the storm and they abandon ship. It's exactly what happened here in our story. Acts chapter 27, verse 27. Let's wrap it up. It says, when the 14th night had come, you see, that wasn't just one night of a storm. It wasn't just two nights of a storm. It wasn't just three. It wasn't a week. Two weeks of not seeing the sun or the stars. Two weeks of swirling around in a storm. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they start taking samples. They lower down some things. Okay, we're 120 feet, away, 120 feet deep. They go in a little closer, a little bit more time. We're about 90 feet deep. And they realize we're getting close to land. And if we're getting close to land, that means there might be some rocks here and the ship might break up. So we better lay down some anchors. And so they lay down some anchors. But verse 30, look at this. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So here's what's really happening. There was a group of people who just wanted to abandon ship. They wanted to get out of there. And so they pretended like they were lowering anchors of the ship, but they were actually lowering the escape pods of the ship, lowering the escape boats, and they were getting ready to get out of there. But here's what happened. Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Why was that? Because there was a word from God on how it was going to happen. That all of them were going to be saved, even though the ship was going to be destroyed. And they had to follow the voice of God if they were going to get anywhere. And so what they did, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So here's what happens in a storm. There's a temptation to abandon ship. There's a temptation to get out of Dodge. There's a temptation to get out. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. If you're in a storm, don't abandon ship. Don't pull back from people in your life that you need. Don't pull away from church when you're in a storm. 
Don't pull away from God's purpose when you're in a storm. Don't call, pull away from your calling whenever you're in a swirl of, of exhaustion or, or busyness or crisis or, or challenge or rejection or offense or whatever it is. That's the biggest thing that we do is we try to abandon ship and we think, I'm going to go and try to fix this problem by myself. And again, we start working out in the flesh what started in the spirit. And you're never going to work out in the flesh what starts in the spirit. And so we begin to try to abandon ship. And I've seen this time and time again. And it's a sad thing that people begin in their crisis moment, pull away from the very lifeline. They're in a position where they need a miracle, where they need the lifeline of God, where they need the blood flow of the body of Christ. And the reaction is to remove themselves from a miracle, from the very lifeline that can bring a miracle. Don't abandon ship in that time when you're in a storm. Many times that's exactly what we do. And if we be begin to drift further away from our purpose, further away from our calling, further away from the church, further away from fellowship, further away from the word, here's what happens in church world. As a pastor, I can't tell when most people have left our church or are just seasonally attending church. <laughs> because many times people will come, and, and I haven't seen them for two months, but this is my church. <laughs> Fall Fest is great for that because I'll see people who haven't been to our church for a year and a half or so and they're like, yeah, Journey's to my church. Well, I haven't seen you for like since, I don't know, last election. Like, what's going on? But Journey's my church. What happened? I just got busy. I just had a crisis. And so the reaction is to pull away in times of busyness, to pull away in times of crisis, to pull away when that's the very time when we need a brother or sister in Christ to be close to us to speak life into us. That's the very time when we need to draw near to the word of God so that we can let the word of God permeate our heart. It's the very time that we need to serve and step in to serve because that's when we, we erode selfishness out of our heart when we serve. And so most of us end up abandoning ship. If you've chosen anything, anything, any activity over the kingdom first in those situations, you've made the wrong choice. The Bible says that if we would seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will fix itself. All these other things will be added. All these other things will take care of themselves. It doesn't mean they're magically going to be better. It just means that the only way you're going to get to where you want as a believer is if you put the kingdom first and everything else follows. The question isn't whether we know that scripture. The question is whether we believe that scripture enough to apply it to our life instead of everyone else's. Because a lot of us were like, man, why don't you just seek the kingdom? Man, I just need to go after, you know, hey, they're in a crisis. When it comes to crisis in our life, are we setting everything else aside and saying, no, kingdom first. Kingdom matters. Kingdom is everything. The kingdom of God. That's where the Bible says that we need to do. And so if you find, if you look at your life, let me just be real with you. If you look at your life right now, and every time there's a crisis Every time there's a situation, every time there's a moment in your life where there's some sort of storm that swirls around and you look at your life and you have a pattern and your default is to step back instead of drawing near, I'm talking to you today. Let the word of the Lord hit you today. Because you are never going to find the miracle that you need, the, the life flow that you need if every time you're in a storm, you step back and you get into your own world and you step away from relationship. You step away from community. You step away from church. You step away from purpose. You step away from the very thing that God made you for. 
And if you do that, you're going to find that you become calloused on the inside. And you end up just going through the motions of the storm. And that's never God's heart for you. You need to go back to point two and take heart once again. And maybe instead of abandoning the ships, you need to burn the lifeboats. You need to cut off the ropes. Because too many of us have a plan B. We have an exit route. We've got an exit ramp. And we're always waiting in times of crisis to have this exit ramp to go back to our little huddle and to take care of ourselves instead of reaching out to the purposes of God in our life. There's a story, uh, old story, and it's about this old warrior uh, back long, long time ago. And uh, he was getting ready to defeat. He wanted to go over and defeat an enemy. But the problem was he was outnumbered by many, many men. And so he decided, though, that he was going to sail over, and he got all of his men on the ships, and he sailed over to this island, and he gets all of his men off the ships, and then he gets ready uh, to give them this big speech, but he orders them to burn the ships. And so as the ships are burning in the background, this better be a good speech, right? They're outnumbered, and this better be it. And so he stands up, and he says, men, look at those ships over there. They're burning right now. And he says, you know what those burning ships mean? They mean that we are not going to get off of this island alive, unless we win. They won. See, there's something about us having an escape route that keeps us living below our potential. Something about having an escape route, an exit ramp, an abandoned ship option that keeps us from stepping fully into trusting God. There's something about us having an escape place in our mind that says, you know what, if this thing doesn't work out, if this God thing doesn't work out, at least I can go back to that. You see, you will never experience all of who God is until you put all of you in. You never will. And you have to cut the ropes. You have to burn the ship. And you have to say, you know what? If I give my life to this and it turns out to be wrong, at least I will have known that I did it all in. And I experienced all that I potentially could of God. And I guarantee when you do that and you put yourself all in, God says, if you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. And you'll experience more of God than you ever have. Some of you are in this place right now and you don't know why you've not ever fully experienced God. You don't know why you've not fully experienced the presence of God. It's because you've got the escape ramp. You've got the, the, the lifeboat just waiting on the exit as soon as you want to. As soon as circumstances change. As soon as everything changes, you can go take that. God says, jump all in. Acts chapter 27, verse 33 says, As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day. They hadn't ate for two weeks. And they continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. So they were holding on to the food to see if they could stretch this out. They didn't know when it was going to end, so they hadn't eaten. They were saving it all up. And it says, Paul stands up. He says, therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, he gave thanks to God. And in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Basically had communion right there. And it says, then they were all encouraged, and they ate some food themselves We were in all 276 persons in the ship. Now, what's getting ready to happen next in verse 38 is the most irrational thing that could have happened. Okay? It's the most irrational act. It says, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. They had their last meal, and as an unbelievable faith act, believing in what the Word of God said that they were going to be saved that day, they pushed all the rest of the food off the ship as an irreversible act of faith. Some of you today need to have some irreversible acts of faith in your life where you cut the ropes, where you burn the ships, where you you seal off the exit ramps, and you do an act of faith that says, God, I trust you in the storm. God, I'm pushing all my chips in. 
and I can't take it back. I'm going all in. I'm jumping all in. And they did something irreversible. You guys know there's a difference between renting a house and buying a house. If you rent a house, it's got one level of advantages, and the advantages are you you don't have to stay if you don't like it. So you can leave if you don't like it. But if you buy the house, you also have some advantages because you can do whatever you want to to the house. So you can paint the house, you can remodel the house, you can add a room addition, you can do whatever. If you rent a car, it's different than owning the car. And there are two different types of people that rent cars. The first type of person is the person who rents the car and rents the house. And maybe you're like this. This is like me. I rent it and I'm like, especially a house, don't, don't kids, you know, don't scratch any of the walls. I've got five kids. So don't touch the walls. Just sit here forever. Just sit, just forever. Just sit here, you know, because I don't want the house to be scratched up. How many of you guys are like that? Other people are people who rent cars and it's like a rental car. So you're like just throwing trash everywhere. You're just pouring pop out, just whatever, because it's a rental car. It's going back, right? And so, but that's what you do with rentals. But if you buy it, it's a whole other level of commitment. So here's what I think many of us do with God. We have a lease agreement with God instead of buying the house. We rent God out in times of crisis sometimes. We say, God, I'm in this situation. I need you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent you for a while. I've got a lease agreement with God, and so that if I hear something from God that I don't like, that makes me uncomfortable, that challenges me, that makes me change, I can walk away at any time. Some people have a lease agreement with the church, <laughs> and they say, you know what, if, if that pastor doesn't say exactly what I want, or if those people aren't exactly the way, then I've got a lease agreement instead of buying all in. We do that with God. Instead of buying all in and saying, God, I'm all in. But do you know something? That example that I just used isn't even the right example, isn't the right model, because that's assuming that God is the house that could be bought or rented. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are God's house. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, here's the reality. Many people think that they can rent God or buy God or buy into God. But the reality is if you have said yes to Jesus... God has bought you. Do you know what that means? That means he can paint the walls on the inside if he wants. That means he can remodel you on the inside if he wants. In fact, he could even move the house around. He could move it if he wanted to. Because you are not your own. You are bought with the price. You are bought with God. And so today I want to just challenge you. Would you do something in your mind or maybe an action that you tear up your lease agreement with God and you say, God, you've bought me. I'm all yours. I surrender all. I surrender all. And do something, maybe it's a faith act that's irreversible. You you burn the ships in your life. You cut off the lifeboats and you say, God, I'm all into your purposes. I'm all into your plans. God, I burn the ships in my life. You see, you don't get to sign up God. Jesus signed it for you, but he wrote it in his own blood. And he paid the price for you. He paid the price for me to buy us with his own blood. The Christian life is not just to be set free from something, it's to be set apart for something. And we have to say yes to God. Let me just close up with this thought. As you guys, just go ahead and stand. We'll just close up in prayer. Do you think it's possible for us as believers to run from God? I believe it is possible for us to run from God. 
The thing is, God's always right behind us, though, isn't he? He turns around. He's just right there as quick as we turn around. He never leaves us and forsakes us. But we can still run from God from time to time. The Bible says that we are to seek God and to surrender ourselves to God, to seek after God. I'll just tell you a quick little story. When my, my daughter, she's now seven, but when she would be like two or three, I'd play hide and seek with her. And of course, when you're playing hide and seek with a little three-year-old, it's not much of a game, is it? <laughs> and so she'd go off and hide, and of course she'd be easy to find. And I'd pretend, though, like it was hard to find her. And then when I'd hide, you know, I could, even as an adult, I could find places in our house that she would never find me. But how many of you guys know, as a good, loving dad, as a good, loving father, I'm not going to find the hardest place I could to hide from her. So I would do things like this when she was little. I would just hide behind a door. Maybe there'd be a mirror or something right there so that she could see as she was walking up, she'd be able to see me in the mirror. And of course, I'd see her walk up. And of course, she'd see me in the mirror. And of course, her face would just light up as she'd see me. And she'd, I got you, daddy. I found you. And you know, I think God is a loving father. And the Bible says to seek him with all of our hearts. And even though the Bible says to seek him with all of our hearts, God's such a loving father that he's not hiding in places that are hard to be found. In fact, he hides in such a way that it's easy to find him. If we just turn to him and we seek to him, that we, we seek after him. And so today as we think about surrender and we think about faith rising up and we think about uh, not abandoning a ship, but, but abandoning our lifeboats and jumping all in with God, I want you to know that God is easy to be found. He's easy to be found. He's a loving father. And some of you guys maybe need some faith to rise up in you right now. Maybe you're in a storm right now and you've been listening to all the wrong voices. You've lost your hope. Today, I want to pray a prayer of faith over you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you guys would just take just a moment, maybe you know, you say, Pastor Sean, you are speaking to me today. The Holy Spirit is, is speaking to me today. I need faith to rise up in me today, to trust afresh and anew. Would you just do a faith act, a point of faith? This is going to be your point of faith. Would you just lift up your hand and just say, I need to be included in that prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of faith over you. I'm not just going through the motions today. I'm praying a prayer of faith. And there's going to be power in this prayer as we partner with God. This is going to be your point of faith. You can't just say, well, on the inside, on the inside. I'm agreeing on the inside. No, the Bible says, yeah, that's fine to agree in your heart. But you got to do something with your mouth sometimes or do something with your actions. And so if you're in this place and you say, that's me, Pastor Sean. I want to be included in that prayer of faith today. Would you lift up your hand? This is your point of faith right now. This is your point of faith. You hold it up, and this is your point of faith. This is what you're hanging on to right now. You're saying, I want to be included in that faith prayer today. With your hands raised up, I'm going to read to you, just to let faith rise up, I'm going to read to you an old hymn that a guy in the 1800s wrote, and I want you to have faith rise up in your heart as I read this. He said this, he, he wrote this as a song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus' name. Come on, can you get this in your spirit? On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, it supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. 
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. With hands lifted up, let's pray a prayer of faith right now. Lord, I thank you, God, for these people right now. Lord, I believe that faith is rising up in the midst of the storm, that hope is rising up in the midst of the storm. Lord, I pray for a hunger and a desire from the Holy Spirit to hear your voice once again to dig into your word and to your power and to connect with you once again. Lord, Spirit, stir them up on the inside. Lord, that we would be people who place our feet upon the rock and it's on the the solid rock that we stand. Lord, everything else around us is sinking sand. I pray for faith and hope and strength supernaturally to rise up in these believers as we have this point of faith. And if you agree with that prayer, then let's praise him and let's shout it out in agreement. Clap our hands and agree with the prayer today. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.